Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good to see you. Uh, as um, as Beck said, my name's Matt. I'm on the team here. And uh, we're in a new sermon series that we started last week. I'm just opening this all up so I can actually see what I'm going to be going to be saying, um, called When You Pray. And uh, last week we launched this series and we focused on how Jesus teaches his disciples, teaches us, his followers, how to pray as Jesus prayed. And we looked at the first line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, and uh, we explored how um, praying Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name, is about presence, encountering the Almighty God, His presence, and that has a perspective change. When we encounter Him, we realize afresh and anew by His Spirit within us that He is our Heavenly Father, and we can cry, Abba, Father, and we hear His voice saying, You are my child, and I love you. The Almighty God says, You are my child, and I love you. And the only response that we can have at this stage of the Lord's Prayer is praise, Presence, perspective, praise. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Would your name be made holy? And as we saw in the reading now, and as we looked at last week, um, Jesus invites us into a regular rhythm of prayer. And the invitation last week was uh, to step into that regular rhythm of prayer, to find a moment each day to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, in a quiet place, a place where we could quiet down the noise of the world. Now, I'm going to do something. This is not to make you feel guilty or ashamed. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say, how did it go? How did it go? If you weren't here last week, don't worry about it. You know, how is your prayer life at the moment? But if you were here, just share. Did I, did I follow through on that? How did I, was I able to do it? What happened? You know, just turn to each other. Let's do that now. Just 30 seconds each way. Go for it. Okay, and keep it short and snappy. I know there's a lot to, I'm sure, to say. Maybe lots of reasons about how it went or how it didn't go. But turn, let the other person share now. How was the other person uh, experienced? 30 seconds for the other person. Okay, let's come back together. Let's come back together. I'm not going to ask you to uh, shout out how it went. Um, you, you know, we'll keep the conversation going. Um, I, I just, so you know, for accountability, I really tried to step into a new rhythm of prayer uh, this last week. Um, and I found that setting my alarm clock at three times a day on my phone really helped prompt me to pray. Did anyone else do that? Or does anyone else do that? 
No. Well, top tip, set your alarm clock. I set mine for 8 a.m. It's got to work for you, so whatever works for you. 8 a.m., 12 p.m., and 6 p.m. And in the morning, I try to have my main sort of time of, of prayer. So it's like 8 a.m. when that alarm came. It's like, I'm starting now. And then 12 p.m. in the middle of the day. It was a beautiful prompt, just a beautiful reminder. Wherever I was, just stop. My Father, thank you that I can encounter your presence here. Thank you that I can hear you speak I'm your child, and you love me over me. You know, kind of giving myself to him, and then, Lord, would your name be made holy through the rest of this day? That kind of thing. So uh, 8, 12, and then 6 p.m. as well. Just another prompt, just a moment. So that's the top tip for you. And, and to confession, accountability, I didn't always do it. I didn't always, you know, there were times where it was like the alarm came up, and it was like, skip! <laughs> you know? But, um, I, you know, we're trying. And as we looked at last week, prayer is not easy, but the Spirit helps us to pray. And keeping that alliteration of P's going this week, we're going to look at three P's uh, this week as we look at the next part of Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And what we're going to look at in these three verse, in these words is three P's. Purpose, I'm forgetting them now myself. I'm getting so excited. There we go. Purpose, promise, and participation. Purpose, promise, and participation. But before we dive into that, I'm going to start with a story. Many years ago, when I was about 15 or so, I was learning to play music, and I was learning to play the bass guitar. In fact, that bass guitar there is mine. I've had it since I was about 14 or 15 uh, years of my age was 14 or 15, and uh, <laughs> I've not had it for four, anyway, uh, and I was learning to play, and my dad was like, why don't you, you know, go and play in the, in the jazz orchestra, um, and it just happened to be that there was a little, I grew up in Johannesburg, there was a Johannesburg jazz orchestra, and so I um, decided to go along, and uh, it was everything you would expect a, a sort of a jazz orchestra to be. The conductor was your stereo, stereotypical jazz person. He had a little um, like bow hat. He wore a waistcoat. He was very easygoing. He was like, yeah, that's cool, man. You know, he was very easygoing. And so I would go to these uh, orchestras and it was uh, to these rehearsals and it was so easygoing. It was like, yeah, just come, just play, just like fit in. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't quite know what I'm playing. I'm not quite sure how I'm fitting in. These are the bass fingers, by the way, as I'm doing this. Um, and, um, and, uh, and, and there was some music, but uh, because of my eyesight, I have bad eyesight, I can't read music. So he was like, don't worry, just, just feel it. He literally used these words, just feel it, just feel it, you know, just play. And I was kind of, okay, you know, and I started just sort of playing by ear and like casually engaging with what the rest of the band was doing. And they were also pretty casual. It was all very jazzy, lots of blue notes, you might say. And, uh, and then one, um, one week he said, uh, guess what? We've been invited to support the Johannesburg Symphony Orchestra, and we're going to be the supporting act and play some jazz. And I was like, oh, wow, this feels quite, um, quite a big step forward. And, uh, and I remember going up to him and saying, look, are you, are you sure this is okay? I'm, I'm not feeling very confident. He was like, don't worry about it. It's cool. You'll just feel it. You know, it'll be fine. Anyway, the time came, um, it was in um, a shopping center, in like a big sort of courtyard shop, shopping center. There was a stage, there were lots of people, restaurants all around, and people gathered, seating and everything for the concert. And uh, it was terrible. It was raining like a day like this, and the wind was blowing. 
And uh, I had uh, my music stand. The little music I did have was, um, was, was getting rain on it, and the, a gust of wind blew, and it blew all the music on the floor. I didn't have a strap, so I was sort of sitting. I was totally ill-equipped, totally unprepared. And then the moment came, and, and the conductor said, um, you know, we started, there'd been an announcement, and we were all there, and he said, a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. And he pointed at me. And I was like, I had... I just started playing something. I had no idea what I was doing. And from that moment, it totally crashed. Everything fell apart. It was distant. It was discordal. It was a total nightmare. And I was utterly mortified. I could never go back to that jazz orchestra. And I can look back on it now and laugh about it. But there was no purpose. There was no promise of like, don't worry, you'll be okay, we'll make this work, we'll do it together. And there was no real sense of participation. It was always like, just feel your way, just go with it, you know, it'll be okay, whatever. A flip side experience to this is when I was in my very early 20s, I was part of a little worship group, I was again playing bass, and I went to um, play at this massive event 10,000 people, I'd never done anything like it. And I was so nervous. And I kept on saying to the band leader, the worship leader, suddenly like before, you know, before we were about to go, like, oh, um, I think we should, you know, should we play this song? He's like, no, 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 don't worry. There's, I've got a purpose, there's a plan, there's a set list. And then it was like, oh, but I'm, I'm really nervous. And he's like, don't, you're gonna be fine. I've got you, I promise you, everything's gonna be, be okay, we're gonna do this. And it's like, I, I don't know if I can. He's like, look, all you have to do is just join in, just play your part. Purpose, participation, and getting exciting again. And the promise. <laughs> God's kingdom is a little bit like that. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's inviting us into that purpose, that promise, and that participation. We know that things are supposed to be a certain way. God has a will. He has a plan for his creation. And when creation doesn't follow that, that plan and that purpose, things begin to fall apart. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? It means to say, God, would your purpose for creation be fulfilled? What is God's purpose for creation? To glorify God. Once again, we're going to go back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2 in the Bible. And I encourage you to just go and read these chapters, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 as well. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation narrative where God blesses his creation before humanity is made on the fifth day. And then humanity on the sixth day. And in Genesis 1.22 and then verse 28, it says, be fruitful and increase in number. This is God's blessing. And remember that blessing in the Bible evokes a privileged intimacy, a privileged connection with God. And what happens when you're connected with the source of all life and love and generosity? Fruitfulness, increasing in number, flourishing, flourishing, life to the full. To glorify God is for creation to, to flourish, to, to um, experience and to step into all of its fullness. And we see a picture of this on the seventh day of the creation narrative. The Sabbath, the climax of creation, is not the creation of human beings, as many people like to think, or anything else for that matter. But the climax of creation is the Sabbath, the day of rest. 
Check this out in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth, and remember last week we talked about that holiness of heaven and, you, and, and earth existing together in perfect unity. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day. This is the third blessing of creation, a blessing over a time itself, and made it holy, holy. Because only he rested from all the work that he had done. What is the Sabbath? It's God's kingdom in perfect, holy unity, glorifying God. It is his kingdom without rebellion. God's purpose for creation fully executed within creation. And the result, the purpose, the conclusion is rest, freedom in God's order and ease. Here at the start, God asserts that life does not and cannot depend on fervent activity or self-securing. Rather, creation rests dependence on God's gracious and purposeful gift-giving to his creation of his life and his faithful promise that we will come to, that he brings and will bring all things to fruition, all things to flourishing, all things to glorifying God according to his purpose, according to his will. And we see that at the end of the Bible where we looked at Revelation last week, where every creature, every knee shall bow and say, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. What does this mean for when we pray? When we pray, your kingdom come. It means we are saying, God, you are the king. You're our heavenly father and you are the king of the kingdom. And it's your responsibility to make your purpose happen. It's not a prayer of abdication. Some of you are like, oh, but does that mean I don't have to do anything? No, it's not a prayer of of abdication. But it is a prayer that starts by acknowledging our place in the order of creation. We are not God. He is. And that means Sabbath surrender. Surrendering into God's rest, into his sovereignty, trusting in God's sovereignty, sovereignty, depending on God for the flourishing of all life. Which means when we pray, stopping, being still, not rushing around, consuming, being occupied by anxious thoughts and, and, and self, ways we can self-sustain ourselves and self-secure ourselves, not hoarding. To go back to my analogy of the conductor and the jazz band or the orchestra or the band I was in later, the conductor alone can pull the band and the orchestra together. And he alone can finally bring that music to completion, to make that music happen. He's the one with the main score sheet and he's the one with the authority and the responsibility to do so. There's no good in an individual like me who doesn't know what's going on to just randomly start playing. That's when everything falls apart. So to pray your kingdom come is to pray, I surrender. Your will be done, not mine. You are God, 
And that means we rest in. We rest into who God is. And that's why when we come together here on a Sunday morning, we begin with praise. We begin with worship. We declare who God is. We say, you are God. You are almighty. You are the holy one. It is a praise and prayer of surrender. What would it look like on a Sunday morning for us to come in and really, truly step into that? To really, truly step into that. To really believe that when we gather here together to pray and worship, we say, Jesus, name above all names, higher than my name, higher than all the other names. I think we would begin to see God, um, God's name declared in, in a powerful and new way among us. Secondly, promise. We know that in Genesis 3, things go wrong. They take a nasty turn. God's authority is rebelled against. Adam and Eve, image bearers of God, you could say um, kingdom image bearers, image bearers of the king, they disobey his purpose, his order for creation. And heaven and earth are divided, they're torn. And creation starts to unravel, a decreation process. Things begin to fall into chaos where we saw that order and perfect harmony and unity on the seventh day of the Sabbath in the creation story. Um, we know that in our world today. You only need to look at the, the news of the last week uh, to see how chaotic and confusing and, and, and unraveling things can be. C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity, our perspective of the universe is this. It's a, it's a universe at, in civil war with itself. A kingdom at rebellion with itself. Though God is the king, his authority is usurped here and regularly usurped by human beings and thus by darker forces at work in the universe as well. And the Bible names these darker forces as idols. Idols. We explored these idols in our War of Desires series. But basically, uh, you know, do go back and check that War of Desires series if you didn't hear it before. But idols are basically um, the things we, we give ourselves to, the things we worship instead of God that then results in this process of decreation. They can look like comfort. Again, self-security, self-sufficiency. Um, the big three, sex, money, power putting ourselves as kings in our own little worlds rather than acknowledging King Jesus at the center. Where surrendering to rest in God's purpose brings freedom and life to the full, the worship of idols always ensnares and enslaves. Again, C.S. Lewis says, idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. And to worship an idol is to participate in sin, and sin always leads to death. And that's what happens in Genesis 3. But from that point in Genesis 3, God is working to release his creation from the ensnare and the enslavement of these idols that we've come to of sin and death. And in the Bible, God makes a number of promises. We sang about these this morning. Promise keeper, for example, that he will indeed bring his creation back to that place of Sabbath rest and release. How? 
How? Well, the Old Testament is full of the story of God's purpose unraveling through his promises to his, uh, to his creation. And in the Bible, these promises are called covenants, relational, binding agreements, like a marriage, a partnership. It's not a contract. It's a partnership. And the problem is, as we see through Scripture, that humanity keeps on failing to keep up its end of the, of the partnership. Let me give you a, a quick example. Say, um, we could all probably relate to this in one way or another. Um, if, if we, when we were younger, when we were at school, and um, our parents uh, say to us, um, you must do your maths homework, okay? And uh, that is the will of the parent, the purpose of the parent, so that the, the child would flourish in mathematics, for example, but like me, when I used to be told to do my maths homework, I would go into my room and I would begin to play video games. And so the will of the parent was there, but I was actively rebelling against that will. And the result was I usually failed my maths test. So I broke the covenant that I had with my parents. Will you do your homework? Yes, I will. Okay. And then I didn't. There are a number of examples of this in the Bible, but I'm just going to highlight the key ones, the key, uh, the key covenants of the Old Testament. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay, here we go. First covenant, God and Noah. Noah and the ark, where God promises after the flood not to destroy the world, but to bring release and rescue, a covenant promise. And the sign is a rainbow. Maybe there'll be some rainbows out there today. Uh, secondly, God's covenant with Abraham, where he promises Abraham will have a, few, a huge family, and that family will be a blessing to the world, a blessing to the nations, a means of, of release and rest, a means of bringing about God's kingdom, God's Sabbath rest. And the sign is circumcision. Good Circumcision, we talked about that in the Creed series as well. <laughs> we don't need to do that today. Okay, the third is Moses and God, and the covenant with the Israelites, so Abraham's offspring, who have now become the people of God, um, are now enslaved in Egypt. They've become so prosperous that they've fallen into slavery under Egypt, and God releases them. He liberates them. He, um, this is where Sabbath ties in with releasing the captives. He releases them and promises to lead them into a place a promised land where they can rest. And interesting, this is where I want to dive in a little bit. The sign of this is, is not only that they are physically released out of the slavery and into um, the wilderness, but that God gives them the Ten Commandments. And of those Ten Commandments, Exodus 31, 12 to 18, um, there is the commandment, uh, the fourth commandment, to obey the Sabbath. Note how the, the commandment to take the Sabbath every seventh day to acknowledge and step into the kingdom of God coming forward, the release, the rest of um, God's kingdom and the earth coming back together, God's presence dwelling with them and that time and space coming together. Every seventh day, God says, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. And in Leviticus, the next book over from um, Exodus, uh, this is expanded upon. Have a Sabbath month every seven months. And then every seven years, have a Sabbath year. And then literally after 50 years, uh, seven times seven on the next year, have a year of Sabbath. Have a year of jubilee, a year of release and rest, not only for you as the people, but also for the land as 
there's so much we can go into here. But the point is that God is, is, is pressing in with this promise of Sabbath rest and release. In the Jewish world, and even today, Jewish people still practice the Sabbath, a foretaste of God's kingdom, pointing back to that Sabbath in creation, but also pointing forward to that future Sabbath when heaven and earth will come back together and things will be reunited. Final covenant here in this section. Then King David where God promises that from King David's descendants, God will raise a final king whose throne and rule will last forever and usher in that final kingdom of Sabbath rest and release. All these covenants build upon each other through the story of Scripture. And when we get to the, Old Test- the end of the Old Testament, we find God's people, the Israelites, um, in exile, and under the authority of foreign kings because they failed time and time again to follow the partnership, the covenant relationship with their heavenly father. And so what happens at the start of the New Testament? Who steps in to the picture? Jesus. <laughs> we had this last week. Jesus, just say Jesus. It's okay. You'll always get it right if you say Jesus, Jesus steps in. He is the Messiah King, the, the promised descendant of David's line, whose reign will rule forever. Jesus spoke of himself as the Lord of the Sabbath in Luke 6. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And when he starts his ministry in Luke 4 too, he says this, he reads this uh, this is uh, Luke 4, 16 to 21. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit before and a little bit after, but most of it will come up on the screen. On the day, uh, so here we go. So Jesus went to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, now just remember all those, those the images, all the things we've just been hearing about Sabbath through the covenants and through um, Genesis, the seventh day. This is the day that Jewish people would be practicing the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, an Old Testament prophetic book in in the Old Testament, was handed to him. Unfolding it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, good news to the poor, rest, release, He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, rest, release, recovery of sight to the blind, rest, rest, release, to set the oppressed free, rest, release, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the year of the Jubilee, the seventh, the The seven years times seven years equals 50 years, that 50 year, big year, Sabbath year to proclaim that year of rest and release. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the uh, attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the, in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is filled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, I am the person that all those covenants have been pointing to. I am the King and the Lord of the Sabbath. 
How does Jesus demonstrate and inaugurate his kingdom? He says it's not by bullying, it's not by arrogance, it's not through insecurity, and it's not through condemnation. The power of his kingdom comes through self-giving love, which is unveiled as Jesus goes to the cross, releasing the captives from sin and death and leading them into his kingdom rest. So praying your kingdom come is a prayer of surrender to God's purpose for creation. And when you pray that, it is a prayer of releasing anxiety and um, that sense of, I have to do it all. It's a prayer of trust. Secondly, it's invoking the promises of God. Everything that I've just covered, all those covenants, all that stuff about the Sabbath, all that about rest and release, setting the captives free. It is a justice prayer for those who are experiencing injustice. It is laying those idols down so that God's name would be glorified. And this is the final P, participation. This is really quick, this one. We're coming into land now. We know that when Jesus' kingdom, his Sabbath kingdom, has arrived through his life, death, and resurrection, but why is there still sin and death in the world today? Is God, is God not always king? As Christians, we believe that Jesus' victory is won in principle on the cross. Jesus did defeat the powers of sin and death, and he did rise from the grave. In Jesus and by his spirit, that kingdom has become a reality and is continuing to become a reality. And so he calls us to be participants in that kingdom. Wherever in the world there is sin, there is death, injustice, trying to choke the life out of us or those we love or the world, we hold and pray in that new reality the promises of what God has said he was due, the purpose of God will be fulfilled in the here and now. We pray, yes, let it happen on earth as it is in, in heaven. To go back to that music analogy at the start, Jesus is the great music conductor, and we are captivated by his ultimate, most glorious song where there is so much dissonance and music that is out of tune in the world and in our own lives, we are invited to sing that new song and perform that song that only Jesus can give and only he can conduct. We follow his lead. Jesus' kingdom will be complete when the whole world is performing that song, when the whole world joins in that song. And it must be Jesus' song. And the way we sing that song, as Jesus teaches us, is through prayer, to pray, Our Father, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Just real final, how do we do this? How do we do this uh, today, next week? In a moment, we're going to share communion. We're going to give thanks, remembering and participating in the now of God's kingdom breaking through. His purpose, his promises. And then we will be sent out in the power of his spirit. Remember Jesus says in, uh, in Luke, quoting Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, he gives his spirit to us now. The spirit of, of the Lord, his spirit is upon us. 
to proclaim good news, to set the captives free, etc., etc. If last week's invitation was to find a regular, quiet time in the day to pray our Father in heaven, would you continue that? The invitation this week is to find that and to pray, Lord, would your kingdom come and would your will be done? And that means, for example, praying for our leaders. It's a big moment in the UK going on at the moment. Pray for our leaders. But also that idols that ensnare and entrap would be fallen and that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed. And really practically, you might want to do that through practicing Sabbath this week. Finding moments when you can rest and release yourself to God and allow his spirit to bring rest and release to you. So let's stand. We're going to pray. We're going to uh, have communion as well in a moment. But before Bex comes to do that, let's just invite that spirit of the Lord that we've been talking about. 